right, Romans chapter 8 this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to Romans chapter 8. Now, it just so happened that we are segueing, perfectly timed, might I add, uh, between our series, Dead or Alive, as we talked about how for the Christian it's both, dead to sin, alive to Christ, alive in the Spirit, to now addressing what we're going to be entitling Why, which is going to be our next series, our next study in our series, Why, because if you don't know, we are over the course of time tackling certain issues and questions that people in the world and in the church might ask, Why? Why does this happen? And so this morning, we are going to be looking at why there is suffering. And it's in Romans chapter 8, looking at verses 18 through 28 this morning. We have three points this morning if you're taking notes, and I hope that you'll be able to follow along with this, and I hope that the Lord speaks to you as much as He spoke to me as I was reading and studying this. It really was an eye-opener, and it broadened my understanding, and I hope that that's the same thing that happens for you today. This morning's message is entitled, Why Suffering? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Point number one is this. The condition of suffering. The condition known as suffering. In verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the present sufferings, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That word consider in the Greek language, as you know, the New Testament was written in, means to compute or to calculate. You know, compute, to determine by calculation or to calculate, to determine by mathematical equation, to, to, to add things up. Paul says that he's been considering his sufferings. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Let me ask you this question today. Have you been considering your sufferings? Have you been going through a hard time? Has your whole life been just one long, hard time? Have you been questioning God? Have you been blaming God? Have you been wondering why there's even evil in the world to cause such suffering and pain to begin with? Have you questioned even the existence of God because of the evil that's in the world? The whole, if God, dot, 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 then why evil? Well, this morning, let's consider the sufferings for a moment and let's find out why suffering even exists. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. That means that everything that God created was not just good, it was very good. Very good. From the sea creatures to the land creatures to the, 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 the creatures that flew in the sky. The plants, the trees, I mean, the vegetables. No GMOs back then. Talk about organic right here. God created man and woman and all of creation was perfect. Evil was not in the world, nor was there sin or disease. There was only life and there was no such thing known as death. Animals weren't killing each other. They were in perfect harmony with nature, and it was by their very nature to be so. Man was created in the image of God with the capacity for love, 
Meaning that there was a capacity for choice. Now, ladies, could you imagine telling your girlfriends one day, maybe you guys were at the hair salon together or went out to lunch together or got a coffee or something, and you told your girlfriends that your husband tells you that he loves you. He, he, you tell him, yeah, my, my husband tells me he loves me. And to which your friends reply, he tells you like verbally that he loves you? I mean, because my husband just says, oh, you know you, that I love you. You know, I don't need to tell you I love you. You know I love you. And then, yeah, you reply, yes, when I threaten to shoot him, he tells me that he loves me. I'm just so glad that he loves me, aren't you? I'm so glad that he tells me that he loves me. And you might think, I don't know if that is love. God created man in His image with freedom. The capacity to love and the capacity to make a choice. God didn't create robots. For if He did, there would be no such thing in the world as freedom of choice and no such thing as true love. Because if I have to threaten you to love me or to say that you love me, that's not love. If I have to design you and create you and program you to say that you love me, then that's not true love either. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16-17, through 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, whom we know as Adam, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord gave them a commandment, a commandment that would keep them from destruction. And in the course of the day, Adam and Eve were met by Satan who presented them with a chance to be like God by disobeying God's commandment. The very fact that Satan presented such a scenario lends credence to the fact that Adam and Eve had the ability to make decisions. But at this point, I hope that that's clear already. Eve disobeyed God's, uh, God's command, and so did Adam. And there were consequences to that disobedience. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 3, verses 16 and 17. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Mothers, could you imagine giving birth without pain? And I'm not talking about an epidural. I'm talking about it was not meant to be painful. Be popping them out like a manufacturing plant. It's the pain of going through that ordeal is what moms stop and they think about, like, I don't know if we can do this again. I mean, men, could you imagine not having to give your blood, sweat, and tears to provide? See, from that choice, sorrow and pain entered the world. From that choice, sin entered the world. And Paul told us in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 
Now, this is a very, very important part of our understanding of sin and its contribution to mankind's fallen state. Now, there may be a difference of degree in sin, but not in the fact of sin in all people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, are, there is none righteous, no, not one. What a change from Genesis 1.31 where I read already and I will read again. God saw everything that He made and indeed it was very good. Until the time Genesis 6 rolled around Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a change. In all the scripture of the Bible, it is only Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that you see man appearing in in his perfect state. In all other passages of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 all throughout history to this very day on April 24, 2016, man and creation are imperfect and in their fallen state. Remember, not in their original state where God said it is very good. In their fallen state. Evil, suffering, and the like are not of God's creation. But rather, listen to me very carefully, the result of man using his God-given ability to make a choice to depart from God's will. Man, with the freedom of choice. You see these things. It is a departure from God's perfect plan. But yet you might reply, and maybe some are skeptical, and you might reply, well, isn't God still to blame for the suffering in the world, seeing that He created people capable of choosing to do wrong things? Well, let me give you this illustration. Now, you probably noticed that the Apple company has released an iPad Pro that's about the size of an iPad Air. You know, the old iPad Pro was just remarkably large. I don't know if you've ever seen them. We actually have two of them on stands here today, right here and over there. But uh, they're huge. But let's just say we're walking through, you know, any mall that had the Apple Store in it, and you see some guy take his iPad Pro, and he smashes it on the concrete right in front of you to your shock horror. You're like, no, don't do that. And even for him, you feel bad. Like, what is your problem? And it's the proverbial slow motion. Like, no. You know, like, don't do that. And there it is, smashed up all over the ground. And would you look at that iPad Pro and blame Apple for making such a terrible product that has cracked glass and bent metal frames what kind of product is this this is ridiculous what has apple stooped to and making products that look just like that who would want anything like that what kind of design is that look a piece of glass on my finger from picking it up this is ridiculous See, God created and man perverted. And to say that God is to blame for suffering is significantly greater than saying that Apple is to blame for the state of the smashed iPad Pro. I like how this one man put this, and if you bear with me, I'm going to read you something just for a little bit. William Lane Craig wrote a fantastic article on this this subject, and I'd like to share with you just a particular portion. And I quote, You see, Jesus endured a suffering beyond all comprehension. 
He bore the punishment for the sins of the world. None of us can comprehend that suffering. Though he was innocent, he voluntarily took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. And why? Because he loves us. How can we reject him who gave up everything for us? When we comprehend his sacrifice and his love for us, this puts the problem of evil in an entirely different perspective. For now we see clearly that the true problem of evil is the problem of our evil. Filled with sin and morally guilty before God, the question we face is not how God can justify himself to us, but how can we be justified before him? So paradoxically, even though the problem of evil is the greatest objection to the existence of God, at the end of the day, God is the only solution to the problem of evil. If God does not exist, then we are lost without hope in a life filled with gratuitous and unredeemed suffering. God is the final answer to the problem of evil, for He redeems us from evil and takes us into the everlasting joy of an incommensurable good, fellowship with Himself. End of quote. So as we see that we have this terrible condition of suffering in this world, it doesn't matter if you are a quote-unquote good person or a quote-unquote bad person. The condition of suffering is rampant throughout all mankind. Yet in light of those difficulties that we face, suffering conditions us for glory. I think back to what I was playing basketball in college and how we absolutely dreaded preseason conditioning. For any of you that played sports, you know exactly what I mean by this. We're out on the track, out on the field, in the weight room, in the basketball gym, twice a day, every day for a couple of months. You know, we're out there and we're literally vomiting because we're running so much. We can't go anymore. You know, all the bad things that you ate all summer long, you know, are now coming back to haunt you. But as much as we hated it, it was a part of that life. I didn't have to be in that life. I didn't have to be a part of the team. I chose. I was in that. And as much as I hated it, it was a part of that life, but it prepared us for winning. And so as we segue into point number two, as number one was the condition of suffering for the Christian, suffering is pre-glory conditioning. And so point number two this morning is the conditioning of suffering. Don't get it confused. Point number one is the condition of mankind in a fallen state, in a fallen world. And there is this condition of suffering that is rampant throughout the universe. Yet we see point number two, the conditioning of suffering. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you're looking at verse 18, that word worthy is literally a word that means befitting. Befitting. We could paraphrase. The sufferings that we endure aren't even befitting the heavy weight of glory that shall be revealed in us. What must the glory be like if our present suffering which seems so enormous is not even suitable for the type of glory that we shall behold. 
He says, it's not even in the same league, the same universe. Like, it's not even, like, appropriate. Like, the, the, the suffering is so minuscule compared to the glory that shall be beheld with your very own eyes. So what you went through, what you're going through, what you will ever go through is nothing compared to the glory that will come from you enduring it. You might think, well, what did Paul ever suffer? Well, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 31 Let's consider the list of Paul's sufferings. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What comes upon me daily? my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul, who has endured such things, many sufferings which we, you and me will never experience, writes that his sufferings can't even be placed next to the glory that will be revealed. They can't even be in the same room. Remember, the same league, the same galaxy. They can't even go together. I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, not befitting to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he wasn't computing or calculating some mathematical equation without knowing the variables. Remember, back in algebra, you know, x plus y equals z or whatever. Here we see x plus y is less than z. x is you. y is your suffering. And z is the glory. You and your suffering are nothing to be compared with are far less than the glory that will be revealed in you. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up into the third heaven as Paul shares this vision that he saw. And I know such a man Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. As he saw the things in heaven, it would be a crime. Something considered terrible if he were to use an earthly language to try to describe the glory that he saw. Paul had a glimpse into the glory of heaven and no wonder he writes, Hey, the things that I'm going through, as bad as they may seem, are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in my life. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6-7, through 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to me very carefully this morning. You cannot give up. You cannot focus on your problems. You cannot be consumed by your suffering. You cannot. You cannot do it. You can play the violin. You can have some cheese with that wine. You can throw yourself a pity party if you so choose. But Paul told Timothy in chapter 2, verse 3 of his second letter, you therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You must endure it. But it is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in your life. But yet, we see us as human beings, we're not the only ones having a hard time with the fallen state of this world and the subsequent suffering that we are entitled to in this life. Creation and nature groans. In verse 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself, verse 21, Romans 8, also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Now, look at the words that Paul used to describe creation and nature from verses 18 through 22. Suffering, futility, bondage, corruption, pain. And I really believe that even nature itself is waiting for the last person to get saved. Who knows, maybe on Monday night we're praying for that. For there will come a time when nature will be delivered from its corrupted state. No more natural disasters. No more earthquakes. No more tsunamis. No more hurricanes. No more tidal waves. In verse 22 it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors and birth pains together until now. Groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Now, did you know that in California that we have over 10,000 earthquakes each year 10,000 we don't even feel most of them we feel them when they're big but the earth and in even in particular California nature groaning I believe with every movement of the tectonic plates you know there it is the San Andreas fault waiting to just break off and that's why everybody's moving to Arizona for oceanfront property one day Before the Lord returns, there will be and we will be dealing with a lot more of nature's malfunctions. But one day, as it says in Revelation 4, 6, it says before the throne there was a sea of glass. That's especially nice for surfers. I remember every morning we used to get up at what we would call the Dawn Patrol and we would call the local surf lines and be like, hey, what's up, this is... This is Todd from the Huntington Beach Surf Report. Whatever. I mean, I can just picture now around the sea of glass, it'd be like, hey, good morning. This is the angel Gabriel with the Heavenly Beach Surf Report. Great conditions, and the ocean surface is glassy. 
And I have it to back it up in Revelation 4, 6, or whatever it might be. But see, it's just not the nature, it's just not the universe and creation that's waiting for the return of Jesus and the restoration of once was so very good. It's just not nature. It says in verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Man, we've tasted, we've seen that the Lord is good. We groan because we've tasted of how good the Lord is and we've seen those little victories in our life and the transformation that's taken place in our hearts. We want the whole thing. We've seen how good the Lord is. We groan in our physical bodies as we wait for the Lord's return. The first fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives make us want the whole thing. Remember the fruits of the Spirit. I'm starting to see those. Man, I don't want just the little fruit. I want the whole tree. I want the whole thing. I want to be completely transformed into the image of God. I mean, we groan. We ache. You know, we groan when we, we bend over to pick something up. Oh, hey, what else can I grab while I'm down here? You know, like that kind of thing. So not only is nature crying out, but when we when we wake up in the morning and we look in the mirror, we cry out too, oh Lord, come back soon. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. And we hope for the day when our body of corruption puts on incorruption. Seriously, we are waiting and groaning for the redemption of our bodies from this corrupted condition that we are in as well as nature, we see that because of man's sin and ability to make choices, we see that there is the condition of suffering in our world. But yet we see for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, that suffering is pre-glory conditioning. And we see the conditioning of suffering the preseason conditioning, if you will. And that leads us to our third and final point this morning in verse 24. From the condition of suffering to the conditioning of suffering to now number three, conditioned for glory. In verse 24, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now in verse 24 here is something very interesting to connect the dots with. Paul writes that we were saved in this hope. And the word that he uses for saved is used to describe specifically to save a suffering one. To save a suffering one. This is absolutely amazing. To look at what we've been looking at and that the word that he says right there, for we are saved, is the Greek word used to describe to save a suffering one. This is the hope that we have. This is a hope that the world does not have. To be saved from the condition. And the condition of suffering is something we have a hope of salvation from. 
We don't see, but our hope helps, and rightfully so. We eagerly wait for it with very necessary perseverance. I mean, how remarkable is that? I mean, we hope for a lot of things. Man, I hope she shows up to our date. I hope the train arrives. I hope my baby comes into the world. I hope I get to see my favorite team play. This is a far greater hope. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as we understand more fully the condition of suffering in the world as our pre-glory conditioning, we see the power of the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. In verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Any of you ever here this morning or maybe watching online, you ever feel like you're weak and could use some help? I know I do. Sometimes we're going through something that words cannot adequately describe the pain or the pressure that we're feeling. There's just no way that I can articulate what I have going on inside. I can't just, I can't communicate. There's just no words for how I feel. And this is where the Holy Spirit kicks in with our prayer life. I don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit inside of us allows us a direct link, as it were, to the Father through prayer in the name of Jesus with words we cannot find. In verse 27, it says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We go through those things. Where there you are, in your room, or in your car, or on the couch, and you're just like, oh, and you try to tell somebody, it's like, ah, and then you're hurting, and then now all of a sudden you're just like, I, I don't even know how to talk. I don't, like, I'm feeling these things, and I'm experiencing these things, and I don't know how to communicate it. That's how the Holy Spirit, that's at that point where the Holy Spirit comes in and enables us and intercedes on our behalf with these words and these feelings that you don't even know how to describe, the Holy Spirit ministers to you through even those things. Because He examines the hearts and the mind. He knows who we are. He knows our hearts. Jesus knows your heart. You might think there's nobody in the world that understands exactly what I'm going through right now. Nobody gets it. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus does. He knows everything about you, everything that you're feeling, everything that you're going through. He knows and understands and he gets it, but he was not exempt from the suffering that you experience and that I experience. We might want to blame God. Jesus suffered in the same way that we suffer. He wasn't just, oh, that's you. No, he experienced it. He partook of it. And that's why he understands it and gets it. That's how he knows What's going on with you? And He not only knows you, He knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. And He intercedes for us in helping us understand and walk in the will of God. 
You've seen this massive passage of Scripture here all of a sudden just start to unfold and roll out. For I consider that my present sufferings are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. I see that I suffer, and I see that because of choice, we have the choice that we can make. I see how nature is. I see the natural disasters. I see, you know, the Discovery Channel, and there's animals killing animals and all this. All of nature is infected with this, this condition of suffering because of sin. Yet for the Christian, suffering is pre, <laughs> it's pre-glory conditioning. And the Lord gets us ready and conditioned for glory. In verse 28 where we conclude, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. All the suffering that is due to man's departure from God's will all the suffering that we experience because we live in a fallen world, the Lord is with us. He sustains us. He empowers us. He ministers to us. He intercedes for us. So go all the way back to the beginning of creation, to the present day. Paul brings us back to square one. Maybe you've lost hope or you've given up. Maybe you even laugh at the promises of God for your life. Go back to the very beginning, to the time that you accepted Jesus as your Savior. You believed in Him. You trusted in Him. And He hasn't let you down. And all things, and yes, even that thing too, will work together for the good because you love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. We groan and we cry out. But we look forward to that day when we see with our very eyes that which we have hoped for and are blown away by how our sufferings were nothing to be compared to the glory that is revealed in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, today I ask God that this particular study would do exactly what it was supposed to do in the lives of your people, your sons and daughters that hear it. Lord, whether they're close to you or far away, bitter towards you, or softened to the things of you, I pray, Lord, that they would have a greater understanding for the condition of suffering in this world, where it came from, why it exists. But then, Lord, even with that condition, we see uh, how Paul says that that suffering is really a conditioning for glory. Getting us ready. Preparing us. Melting away the things that are not of you. And filling us with that hope that does not disappoint as we will stand before God conditioned for glory. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do its perfect work now in ministering, in convicting, in encouraging, and whatever else, Lord, you would see fit for this time. And Lord, I pray that today we would leave this place encouraged.
that we would leave this place, Lord, more on fire for you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that maybe if there are some here this morning who you have used the condition of suffering in this world to draw them to you. As we read that the only solution for evil in this world is God. It's you. And so, Lord, I pray that if there are some here this morning that do not know you personally, maybe the heat's been turned up a little bit in their lives, maybe they feel like they've come to the end of their rope, maybe they don't know where to turn or what to do, I ask, Lord, that today they would turn to you. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus, Maybe you've been going through whatever it might be that you've been going through, but here you are this morning hearing this particular message and now understanding that there is something more out there, more than this world can offer you, more than you could ever find any other place. It's found in faith in Jesus alone. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm not talking about you acknowledge he exists. I'm not talking that you went to church one day or all your life. I'm talking about have you personally given control of your life to him? If you haven't, and you know that you've done things that are wrong, it's called sin. You have the capability of doing that very well like we all do. It's a choice that we all make. But you also have the choice to be forgiven of your sin. And then the empowerment to make that choice to turn from that sin. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus and you would like to, then I'm going to ask you just very simply, would you just raise your hand so I can lead you in a prayer? I'm going to lead you in a prayer of giving your life to Jesus today. Would you just hold your hand up wherever you may be? And I'd like to pray for you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. And also this morning, if you've walked away from the Lord and maybe because the Lord loves you, You understand that he chastens those whom he loves. And now maybe some things are are not going so well and all of a sudden it's got your attention again that you've walked away from the Lord and you need to come back to him today. Would you raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I need to rededicate my life to Jesus today. Would you raise your hand as well so I can pray for you and lead you in that prayer? Right on. Lord, I thank you for these that have raised their hands. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would now give them the strength that they need to fully put their faith in you. Lord, you know what's going on in their lives and you know the hardships that they've endured and Lord, that they're even seeking to endure momentarily, hopefully, but Lord, sometimes things last longer and then we don't understand why it just keeps happening. And Lord, I pray that today would be the day where those particular ones find hope and find strength and find grace. And for those of you that raised your hands here at Vision City or if you're watching online, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. Would you just repeat this prayer after me and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me I thank you that you died for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be for I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.